0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, welcome to this Thursday edition of Scorebox, Box, everyone. These are your headlines. A fresh record close for the Nasdaq, leading U.S. markets back into the green, with Apple rallying to an all-time high alongside a slew of big tech gains. Europe's most valuable tech firm, SAP, getting a cloud boost. This as software licensing, though, drops 18% in the second quarter, while the Group confirms its full-year outlook. Airbus deliveries recover in May, but it's not enough to help the first half, with aircraft sales hitting a 16-year low as the French aerospace firm battles with unions to push through massive cost cuts. And the European Commission reportedly strikes a deal with Verroche and Merck to supply COVID-19 treatments to EU member states, with the Swiss drugmaker telling CNBC it's committed to meeting the needs of patients worldwide. So we need to talk about these markets, and that seems a disingenuous way for me to start off. But we really do, because, I mean, so many people are saying, well, what is driving these markets? What's not driving these markets? As City pointed out earlier in the week, are we at some form of stalemate? And should we not even be using the word markets when we start the show? Even my first headline I have problems with, because it's true. Nothing I said in that first headline was wrong, but the tech stocks leading markets higher. Again, disingenuous, because it's only half the markets. And again, I, I tell you, my assignments editor and I, my boss this morning, Leonie, as ever, she, what we are having this debate, what should we be looking at more European corporates? Should we be putting those higher up in the show? Or do we need to carry on looking at what's going on in coronavirus uh, in the United States with the individual states as well? Is that driving markets? And I think the answer is all of the above. But let me just show you this vast dichotomy we're seeing, this split we're seeing in the markets at the moment. So I've got on this side of the market what looks like the big headlines at the moment. I've got on the other side of the wall at the moment, I'll come to that, what I think is going on elsewhere. I'll explain. So. This is the U.S. markets. Again, my headline says big drive up. NASDAQ again rallying hard, rallying really hard as well. The NASDAQ on the week to date, well, the NASDAQ 100 it is surging. The NASDAQ itself is up 2.8%. The S&P is up 1.3%. The Dow is up 0.9 of 1%. So they're all moving higher. Remember what I said about the NASDAQ, up 2.8%, yeah? OK, let's move on to the technology stocks. Again, this is where your ownership is. This is what's skewing the thousands of other stocks out there that are not being bought. The fact that these are being bought. Look at this. 3081. Three days in a row, we've been above 3000. Amazon as well. Apple, that was in my headlines again. Absolutely surging in valuation. And why not? It's a quality company. You all think that this one is going to really benefit uh, from all kinds of things, not just iPhone sales, but SaaS. And they're moving to uh, broader software and content as well. It's a very... Secular story, uh, as our guest, um, Mr. Hobbs from uh, J.P. Morgan Asset Management said yesterday. Netflix again getting a 2% bid. Look at this, Twitter, 7.3% rebound in that stock as well. So you are seeing the NASDAQ, the individual tech names as well and the secular story, and certain Asian markets as well rallying really, really hard as well. And we've talked a lot about China. We'll do that again with Michael Howell in a few moments time. Let's have a look at these Chinese markets and the Asian markets, which are absolutely surging. Shanghai Composite, 1% to the good again. Actually, the ASX has rallied on the back. Well, not on the back of that. It's rallied independently again today. Concern about the COVID cases. Again, tempering the better economic news out of China, which is normally, um, has a derivative market. If I may uh, be, be very rude, and I don't mean to say that, but in Australia, you do move because of the commodity story, very much in line with Asia as well. I know you've got your own amazing domestic story as well. So I don't want to diminish that. Hang Seng up four tenths of 1%. So... What have we done so far? We've said that the US markets, technology and China rallying hard. Okay, if things are so good, why are we seeing this? 1820 we saw as a closure. 1829 was the highest level I saw in session yesterday as well. So gold is absolutely surging. Certain US stocks are absolutely surging, but other things are not surging. So when I hear commentators come onto the channel and say, well, it's all in too ridiculous or high territory as well. Have a look at this next one. This next one, we don't look at this very often. This is the S&P mid caps, the S&P 400. Year-to-date, it's down 14%, yeah? So it's not enjoying some crazy rally as well. Uh, And in fact, the week-to-date performance, again, very underwhelming uh, in the S&P 400 as well. So you can see it's just posturing along. Look, we had the low there, and then it's literally in a very tight range. You haven't got what you got on the Nasdaq. So you need to look at some of these markets as well. Again, Russell 2K. So what did I say earlier? Nasdaq was up 2.8%. What's the Russell 2K done? A great metaphor of the heartland of American mid-cap companies, yeah? It's done nothing. It's down 0.3 of a percent. So when someone tells you that the markets are surging, you need to say to them, ah, I can see the gold and glistening ones at the top are surging, or the, 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 the Chinese ones for all kinds of reasons, but not every market. Let me make the point again. I'll get to the European indices as well. So I said the Nasdaq is up 2.8% week today. I said the Dow's up 0.9. I said the S&P's up 1.3. Look, look at this. Italy aside, it is rallying 0.9. The European markets have not rallied this week. The CAC current is down a half of 1%. The DAX is down 0.3. The FTSE is is the most woeful underperformer of all the major indices. Now, that could be for all kinds of reasons. Uh, By the way, I have to put the caveat in at this point, in local currency terms. I know some people get very funny about that kind of thing. In local currency terms, we've done nothing this week as well. So that's the point I want to make, that the markets are more nuanced as well. But Michael Howell is the CEO of Cross Border Capital. And there's all kinds of things I want to talk to you about, Michael, as well, including some extraordinary chart on page five of your notes. But I'll get to that. And I've even made a graphic of it. But do you, do you, do you, are you with me on these markets as well? There's it's a lot more nuanced than you're not. You're not. You're shaking your head. Oh, I, I'm
1: 100 percent with you. I think the question is, is it uh, are these stock markets or are they markets and stocks? And you're saying they're markets and stocks. In reality, they're stock markets. Basically, money drives markets. I think when I was on your program in March, what we were saying was this is likely to be a V-shaped recovery because of the scale of liquidity that is being thrown into them. And this is the point that many investors have basically missed. The scale of the liquidity injections are huge. The Federal Reserve is putting in five times the amount of money that it basically dished in in 2008. I mean, these numbers are awesome. And now the Chinese are catching up. The Chinese, which have been slow to ease, are now coming to the party. You're looking at Chinese liquidity growth starting to accelerate. And lo and behold, what happens? Markets follow money. The Chinese stock market goes up. The rest of Asia is is lifted too. And in an environment where there's lots of liquidity, investors want duration. And where do you get duration in the stock market? You get duration in the tech stocks. They are the the growth stocks that attract liquidity. And it's a straightforward story.
0: Now, there's a lot of, uh, rightly so, sceptics out there about the amount of debt we're building up globally uh, and about the multiples and about this horrible earnings season we're seeing. But everything you just said, and, and I love some of your stats. So thank you for your notes. They're really great. Uh, m- the global liquidity is likely to rise in 2020 by a third. Now, these are st- stupendous numbers. $160 trillion, I think that's the figure, two times world GDP. Michael, how do stocks possibly go down with that as a backdrop if people are desperate for a home for money?
1: Correct. And that, that's the point. Uh, you know, if you look at the ratio between stock market value and liquidity, the ratio is now trading towards the bottom end of its range. Normally, what you'd expect is a ratio of about point, 055 we were down uh, at one stage in March below 0.3, which is almost near historic lows. Uh, we've now rebounded to about 0.45. So you can see there's still potential scope for markets to continue going. But worry is that we're inflating a bubble, uh, a bubble's burst as we know, but we still have may have several months of gains before that happens. But what we would urge investors to do is to start to diversify on the one asset that is bound to go up a lot more is gold. And gold goes up when two things happen. Number one, the Federal Reserve eases aggressively. And number two, the People's Bank of China starts to ease. And that's what we're seeing. The, The concurrence of these two big central banks pumping in money is magic news for the gold price.
0: Uh, I, 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 well, I'll come back to that if, if we have time later on. But you're, you're just showing off now on page five of your liquidity framework notes, if you don't mind me saying, Michael. I mean, I wasn't too bad at maths at school, but what on earth is this? Your clients will be looking at this one and going, really? I understand the words underneath it. But why don't you just tell us what this crazy uh, uh, equation means?
1: Well, all, it, all it's saying very simply is that you don't necessarily have to use price earnings multiples to value equity markets you can do it in a different way. And you can say, well, okay, number one is the flow of liquidity. And that's one factor. And the second factor is how that liquidity is allocated within portfolios. So if I give you lots of cash, suddenly a winful game, the question is how are you going to allocate your investment portfolio? And if you normally have 50% of your investments in equities and the other half in other assets, and you suddenly find that the other assets, i.e. cash, and now up to 80% of your portfolio, you're going to rebalance and you're going to put money into equities. And that simply is what's happening worldwide. The amount of money that has been forced into investor portfolios globally is eye-watering. And this is the point. Money, yeah, money moves markets. If people have money, they spend it. And ultimately, what you're seeing in this particular uh, in this particular flow is money is going first into financial markets, where it always goes, and then it's going to start to drift out or trickle out into the real economies. So what you've got to expect is probably a a better economic news than many economists have been expecting. And I I would say, lo and behold, that's exactly what we're getting. Look at the rebound in some of the US data, uh, in looking at things like the ISM surveys that recently came out uh, for June. You saw V-shaped patterns in both manufacturing and non-manufacturing, and that was really the spur to markets at the beginning of this week.
0: Uh, Much simpler equation on the front page of your backdoor love, how China is supporting her financial markets page. Asset prices equal portfolio exposure times financial liquidity. Similar story, Michael, to what we've just been discussing as well. But tell us a little bit more about the nuances uh, and why China is rallying as hard compared with other markets. And can it last?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, the answer is it lasts uh, for as long as liquidity is pumped into markets. It's as straightforward as that. So what you've got to watch is central banks suddenly change course Now, uh, I wouldn't suspect that either the People's Bank of China or the Federal Reserve is going to change direction soon, but at some stage, within the next 6 to 12 months, that will clearly be on the horizon, that fact. Now, what's happening in China is actually on the face of it, the People's Bank is not easing, because if you look at their balance sheet, uh, the balance sheet is really flatlining, and that's been one of the puzzles out there. Now, actually, what's happening behind, behind the scenes is that the People's Bank is keeping its balance sheet stable because it wants the Chinese yuan, the renminbi currency, to remain robust against the US dollar during this crisis period. And that's normally a, a, a factor that the Chinese look at. They want stability. But actually, behind the scenes, what the People's Bank is doing is encouraging Chinese banks, high street banks, the state-owned banks, to lend more and so if you look at Chinese liquidity growth, broad liquidity growth, despite a flat balance sheet of the People's Bank, of which contrasts with what the Fed is doing here, but look at that flat balance sheet, Chinese liquidity is actually starting to accelerate rapidly. You're looking at over 12% growth year on year, 20% growth annualised over the last three months. And if you look at the amounts of liquidity that China is creating, over, on average in the last three months, they've created 3.8 trillion yuan. Every month which is what say about half a trillion dollars uh com- which is exactly double what they created in the prior three months so the amount of liquidity going into the markets is starting to step up dramatically
0: uh, extraordinary numbers michael i'm gonna be in big trouble here i've got 10 seconds literally where's uh, gold going to i never asked you
1: uh where's it going to it's uh it's going uh, i should think 50 percent in the next uh, Uh, 18 months
0: so what are we saying we're talking 2700 about 2500 wow Wow. Okay, Michael, that's excellent. Lovely to speak to you, my friend, and I hope to see you in the flesh one these days. Nice to see you, and thanks for those great chart, those great equations. Made me realise why I never did A-level maths. Uh, Michael Howe, the CEO of Cross Border Capital. Maybe that's where I went wrong. Uh, let's move on. There's some, some big numbers still. The coronavirus has now infected more than 12 million people around the world. Nearly 548,000 deaths have been linked to COVID-19 so far, with the United States accounting for more than a quarter of infections and deaths worldwide. The U.S. has recorded its biggest one-day jump since the pandemic hit, reporting more than 62,000 cases. Texas alone accounted for 10,000 new infections and 900 deaths as the southern and western parts of the country continue to be acutely affected by the surge. Donald Trump ramped up pressure on public schools to fully reopen. The U.S. president tweeted yesterday that he may withhold federal funding for schools that do not resume in-person classes this fall adding that he disagrees with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines. Meanwhile, New York City State says students will be allowed back into public schools two or three days a week. Harvard University and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, are suing the Trump administration over its proposals to require international students to take classes in person this fall in order to stay in the country. The two universities filed a lawsuit in federal court asking for a temporary restraining order against the policy, which was announced on Monday. China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, has called for a positive turn in the country's relationship with the United States, saying the two superpowers cannot be, quote, forcibly decoupled. Yi added that China has never intended to replace or confront its counterpart across the Pacific. The statement comes amid escalating tensions between Beijing and Washington over the handling of the pandemic, as well as claims from the FBI director, Chris Wray that China is engaged in a widespread campaign to cause economic harm stateside. Google says it has scrapped a major new cloud computing project. This after a report that the search engine giant halted plans to offer the service in China and other politically sensitive countries earlier this year, citing global tensions and the pandemic. The company says the decision was not based on either of those reasons. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the Trump administration will move to prevent China from using social media platforms to access the private data of Americans. Mr. Pompeo added that the government was not specifically targeting the Chinese-owned app TikTok, despite claims earlier this week that it was looking at banning the service over national security concerns.
2: With respect to TikTok, I I want to put it in the broader context, we have... Been engaged in a constant evaluation about ensuring that we protect the privacy of American citizens and their information as a transit. So this doesn't uh, relate to any one particular business or company, um, but rather to American national security. And we are striving to get that light. The the comments that I made about a particular company earlier this week fall in the context of us evaluating the threat from the Chinese Communist Party.
0: Elsewhere, the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has announced he will suspend an extradition treaty with Hong Kong as he expressed concerns over the implementation of the China-backed national security law. Citizens from the autonomous region may also be offered a pathway to permanent residency down under. Mr Morrison added his government will look into incentives to attract export-oriented Hong Kong businesses to relocate to Australia. So, coming up on this show, a rebound in June fails to prevent first half Airbus deliveries from hitting a 16 year low. We're going to look at the numbers and discuss what lies ahead for the European plane maker. And, oh, it's a cracker today, the podcast. Uh, markets and how they're reacting to the current surge in cases and prospects for recovery. Listen to our daily podcast available in all the usual wonderful places. Airbus has reported a 50% rise in monthly deliveries for June. That sounds good, but wait for it. It's the highest level since the start of the pandemic. Despite the rebound, though, the total number for the first half of the year plunged... I mean, you'd expect this anyway, wouldn't you? But it plunged by 49% to a 16-year low. Uh, To be honest, I'm surprised it's only a 16-year low. I mean, it's quite extraordinary times we're living in, isn't it? The carriers, of course, uh, you know the story, were forced to ground almost all their flights due to the virus outbreak. Last month, Airbus announced it plans to cut some 15,000 jobs due to the collapse in sales and orders. Uh, Talking of the airline industry, United Airlines has warned around 36,000 frontline employees, 36,000. 1,000 frontline employees about potential furloughs, urging workers to take buyouts or early retirement packages. The mass job cut would be the largest amongst U.S. airlines so far and would affect nearly a third of United staff. Other airlines have also warned about possible reductions and may announce similar moves in coming weeks. United and its peers, uh, which took part in the $25 billion federal payroll support program, are prohibited from laying off or furloughing employees until October 1st. Alstom shares closed high yesterday following reports uh, it's ready to offer a series of concessions to EU regulators to win approval for its proposed $7 billion takeover of Bombardier's transport unit. This according to Reuters. Let's get the latest with Charlotte who joins us with more. Charlotte.
3: Morning, Steve. Well, when the deal, the, the, the proposed merger between uh, Alstom and Bombardier uh, Rail uh, Division was announced, there was very few overlaps that could be identified. But one was clearly identified. It was regional trains, and that's one that could be problematic in the tie-up when the Commission has to give their decision on this uh, merger. Uh, so that's one that very much had been identified. Uh, it, it, that would give, if the tie-up goes through, that would virtually give France uh, give give the tie, the merge group a monopoly in. France in certain regions. That's why, according to Reuters, uh, they are ready to make some concessions uh, in order to get a green light on that deal that was announced last year, 6.2 billion euros deal that would make the merger of the number two uh, in uh, rail in the world. Um, Alstom and Bombardier both have this two side have been identified. and One is in fr- in the north of France, where both companies have factories there, large factories, more than 2,000 employees, and they both have factories there. So one of these could be one that goes in the concessions that the group is ready to make uh, for the merger. Another one would be in Alsace, uh, in the east of France. So now, um, according to Reuters, today is the is the deadline for these concessions to be proposed. Uh, we know at the AGM, the CEO of Alstom, Monsieur Lafage, said that the talks with the commissions are going smoothly. Uh, again, today, apparently, they are um, uh, uh, briefing the unions on the progress on these talks. The final deadline for the commission to give their green light or not would be the July 16th uh, next week. So uh, according to Reuters, uh, Alstom will make the concessions straight away rather than going into a four-month investigation that the commission could open if they're not happy with these concessions just yet. So uh, we will get some more details next week on the- this deal, uh, but. You'd think that given the history that Halstom had and the blocked uh, merger with Siemens that we saw last year, they might be ready to make these concessions to get this tie-up through with Bombardier Rail, Steve.
0: Okay, excellent, Charlotte. Thank you for that indeed. Right, let's move on from uh, Alstom to SAP, which says its business recovered more than expected in the second quarter as the German software group confirmed its full year outlook. Annette, um, uh, as the Germans would say, quelle um, surprise that the licensing revenue was down and that the cloud was up. What would I. Want to know in this result to either buy or sell the shares today because I noticed that they've traded aggressively higher, uh, from their 82, uh, euro low up to 128 as of last night as well. Is there more momentum in this stock now then?
2: But well, there could be a little bit of more momentum, but you're right. Uh, they had the, a good run already. But compared to their competitors like Oracle, they're actually doing quite well. So that could be an argument in favor of SAP. So let me run you through the numbers, first of all, because as you were saying, it's not a big surprise that license revenues are down by 18%. But the company is saying they're recovering, and that, I think, is a positive and they especially uh, recovering in the Asia-Pacific region. That's a bit the same as we were hearing yesterday from Deutsche Post, that momentum is um, uh, yeah, gathering speed first in Asia and then coming over to Europe. Um, that, that's what SAP is saying for their license revenue. Of course, cloud is up by 21% in terms of revenue, and they're saying also that the backlog, which is a new metric introduced in the first quarter, which means that those contractual committed cloud revenue over the next 12 months, that's the backlog, is also strong. So business should be doing well also for the next 12 months in that segment. And that's because, of course. Everybody's digitalizing uh, their businesses, so there's high demand for digital supply chain, e-commerce, cloud platform, and their Qualtrics solution. So that is positive news from SAP. But they're also saying uh, that the flexible web subscription, which is a subcomponent of their cloud revenue, is doing especially Uh, Well, so overall, it's a good picture from SAP, whether there's a lot more momentum for the stock remains to be seen. We don't yet have an opening call for them, Steve, but soon that will come in probably five minutes.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.